This is Bespoke, a podcast exploring the making of bespoke objects and experiences. Devised and hosted by Adriana Pace-Kent. Today, I'm on a small island in the Thames, surrounded by nature and the sounds of the riverside, to catch up with award-winning portrait painter Emma Wesley. Emma's works are exhibited widely, and they feature in the permanent collections of the National Portrait Gallery, the Royal Society, and Lord's Cricket Ground, amongst many others. She's painted a diverse range of subjects, from butchers to philosophers, as well as antique dealers, cricketers, soldiers, surgeons, and even violin makers. I began by asking Emma how she became a portrait artist. I'd always loved painting people. And uh, when I was at school, I painted my friends and my family. And uh, I did art A-level. But when the time came to leave school, at the time, the late 90s, I couldn't really find any art schools which would let me do what I wanted to do, which was basically paint very old-fashioned portraits. Um, I felt I was going to be sort of pushed towards video installations or something, which are wonderful, but not my thing. So uh, I ended up studying English literature at Cambridge instead, and... uh, which was wonderful, three years reading books. Um, But by the end of it, I was writing more and more about the relationship between um, writers and artists. And uh, I knew I wanted to do something creative, something to do with painting rather than to do with writing. So I applied to study uh, picture restoration at the Courtauld, and uh, which actually turned out to be a wonderful training for an artist because you learnt a different kind of art history. You learnt all about the materials and techniques of the old masters. So that's been very useful to then translate into my own practice. Um, But by the end of the three years at the Courtauld, I was already um, selling paintings and exhibiting paintings. And uh, so, yes, I just started off as a portrait painter and never really looked back. And can you give us a little bit more insight into your practice and what interests you about painting in this particular way? Well, I've always been interested in painting people doing their jobs or painting people surrounded by things they collect. I mean, I know some artists don't like taking commissions. They prefer just to choose who they paint. But the thing I like about being a portrait painter is this entree into different worlds it gives you. You never know where the next commission's going to come from. I mean, a lot of the time it's academic portraits, um, but then it could be soldiers or surgeons or sports people or whatever. You never know which world you're going to get to experience next. And uh, I enjoy that. I enjoy meeting people. And I enjoy the challenge of uh, getting my head around a brief. So what are you setting out to do when you paint a portrait? Well, you're hoping to capture the essence of a person. No using, mean to no mean <laughs> Using only uh, pencil and paint, which <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're hoping for. I think in reality, um, a portrait can only be a record of the encounter between artist and sitter, between two people. Having said that, that can be a very powerful thing in itself. Um, I like to think of my portraits as rather than a snapshot a sort of a long-term meditation on someone which could happen over a number of hours, uh, a number of months, a number of years in some cases. You know, the power of this, I remember going to uh, a Cranach exhibition at the Royal Academy years ago and uh, they're all his lovely Venuses and Cupids, of course. But the one picture that really struck me was a direct portrait study he'd done of a peasant. It was just a very small painting of his head. But it just transported you back over the centuries to the moment where Cranach was sitting there 
with that man in front of him. And that really struck me, the power of a portrait. Mm -hmm. And I think, for example, that's why we're always so fascinated by the Tudors, because Holbein left such a wonderful record of them. And so we really do feel we know them because of his portraits. Because mm, the humanity yes. kind of comes through. Yeah, and across the centuries, mm. that's the amazing thing. You can be right there again, sitting with Henry VIII or his lovely portrait of Erasmus with the fur on his uh, cuffs. Uh, yeah. You know, you feel you could almost reach out and stroke it. Absolutely. And uh, then you realise, you know, portrait's a very special thing because it is that time two people have spent together mm. and the conversations they've had and the interactions. It's... Uh, as you say, it's an ongoing, yes. kind of ever-evolving conversation. Say, I, I, love, I love photography, and I think there are some wonderful portrait photographs out there. But rather than capturing a moment, you, as a portrait painter, certainly as a very slow portrait painter like myself, you have uh, a lot more time with the person to try and reflect different aspects of their personality and their character. So what does the commissioning process look like for you? Um, well, commissions come from various uh, places for me. I'm a member of the Royal Society of Portrait Painters, so a lot of commissions, especially sort of the academic ones, will come through the commissions consultant there. Annabelle Elton does a very good job in uh, matching people up with artists whose style she thinks will suit them. And other commissions come through the National Portrait Gallery, where I've got a couple of works, or just through personal contact. It's uh, word of mouth, really. We'll usually start with an initial meeting, and uh, during which no drawing or painting whatsoever will take place. It'll just be a chat to see what we're both hoping for out of the portrait. In terms of very basic things like size, how many people it's going to include, what background, where it's going to be set. Um, so, for example, I recently did a portrait for uh, one of the Cambridge colleges and we had a nice day just strolling around the college, looking at different rooms and my sitter's study and some of the sort of the grander rooms in college because I was painting her as uh, her portrait as college president. So it was one of those things where it was a portrait of the college as well as a portrait of her. So we had quite a fun day sort of trying out different uh, different settings and talking about clothes and props and, you know, what she might want to include in the portrait too. And then after that, the next stage is I go away and do a lot of research. I like to understand people's work, the jobs they do. So, for example, if they're an academic, I'll go away and do a lot of reading, which means uh, as part of my job, I've had to uh, get my head around uh, some quite tough neuroscience. And uh, I recently uh, painted a philosopher who wrote about something called theory theory. Oh, God. Which was, <laughs> Sounds like double speed. Which is quite a challenge, yes. So they've also uh, had to go and watch a surgeon perform an operation in the operating theatre. So, you know, research can take uh, lots of different forms. Only after that stage do we get together for the first sittings. And uh, there'll usually be about two or three sketching sessions and then a break where I go back to the studio and uh, draw up the whole composition. And then... A similar number of painting sessions where I go back to the sitter and uh, work on the, all the details of hands and face and whatever. The conversation continues throughout the process. Sitters are very welcome to look at the sketches, look at the painting. But yes, it's uh, sometimes, you know, ideas do evolve as you get to know you. You can't get to know someone in the first meeting. So your idea of them can change, you know, throughout the months or years. You may be working on a portrait. So, uh, yeah. And how do you get them to relax and to kind of, to A, manage their own kind of, I'm sure, trepidations around exposing themselves 
because I think there is a slight vulnerability as a sitter. Of course, um, yes. And then also, how do you then get them to replicate whatever pose it is that you've settled upon in the composition? Well, getting people to be themselves is uh, more difficult than you'd imagine. As you say, when people think they're being looked at, they will you know, adopt a certain pose. So the trick is to, for example, during the initial meeting where I'm not sketching at all, during that time I try and, uh, you know, pick up on poses or gestures, ways of standing or sitting that seem um, typical of the person. And then when we get down to this uh, drawing session, I try and get them to replicate that. But again, you have to give people a while to relax. So often I, I usually say the first half an hour of sketching is wasted. Sometimes you're just standing there sort of almost pretending to sketch or <laughs> roughing in the chair or something because you can see the person is, you know, feeling quite self-conscious and then you've just got to wait till they relax into the right pose and then you can uh, get going. I mean, some people are wonderful at sitting naturally and uh, I, mean, I painted soldiers, the portrait I did for Johnson Pahari for the uh, National Portrait Gallery he was amazing because, you know, he had the soldier's mentality. I told him to sit still and he did what he was told for <laughs> hours. He was brilliant. Um, How was the philosopher with that? Was the <laughs> well, I often find academics are very good. Uh, the philosopher and also um, a mathematician I once painted, they have so much going on in their minds, they're quite happy to be sitting still because I, the mathematician said, she said, don't worry, you know, take as long as you want. I've got this maths problem I'm working out in my head. And the nice thing was that I saw his expression change as he was solving it. You know, from looking slightly perplexed, his, when he solved it, his expression cleared. I said, oh, you've solved it now, haven't you? He said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that was quite nice. But uh, for other people, especially, you know, some more active type sportsmen, I painted uh, Andrew Strauss and Claire Taylor for Lords. You could see for a sportsman, it's quite difficult having to sit still for that long without doing something. I can imagine. And how do you... Start the creative conversation and manage kind of expectations on the way. I mean, I always think the interesting thing about an artist taking on a commission is that you're inviting also the person you're commissioning into your practice, into yes. your way of seeing and thinking. How do you share that? Well, usually people who commission me have seen quite a bit of my other work. So this is good. They know what kind of portraits I paint, you know, and what to expect. But... I've realised over the years it's very important to talk about exactly what people expect and also to get some idea about how they see themselves or possibly talk to other family members and uh, get an idea of how they perceive them as well. So everyone's clear about sort of what we're trying to, uh, what we're trying to convey in the portrait. And as I say, sometimes you are painting someone for a specific role. They want to look a certain way. So they may get to know them in a sort of more informal way. Uh, sort of setting you may be painting them you know in sort of full robes and they want to look as a, a certain figure of authority in other way other so sometimes you get someone who says i definitely don't want to look you know too grand in this portrait i recently did um a portrait of uh the vice chancellor of the university of south wales which originally started as a mining school and the whole thing about that was uh, it was founded so that, uh, for students on equal terms and uh, the female chancellor who I painted had been very keen to sort of maintain this sort of ideal of equality. And uh, she was very approachable and down to earth herself. So when I painted her, although her chancellor's robes were hanging up in the background, she did, it was very clear she didn't want to be wearing them. She wanted to be sort of sitting there looking far more approachable. Brilliant. What happens when you 
capture the true essence of a person and they may not want to be how do I phrase this when they they may not actually want to see themselves as they really are well (laughs) well, this is another problem I think as a portrait painter it's probably one of the more difficult forms of art because you are dealing with people's ideas of themselves I always say I think uh, when I was when I was younger I was very excited about painting wrinkles and uh (laughs) age spots and all that. I think now I'm older myself, I think I'm far more uh, kind. (laughs) (laughs) Soften the edges a little bit. In your experience, how have you found the relationship between the artist and the sitter to develop? Um, And kind of what really draws you to the subjects you paint? Um, Well, you can get to know people really well during the course of uh, painting their portrait. I mean, obviously, you're visiting them over a number of months and... uh, for some people, they really enjoy the opportunity to talk. I mean, some sitters treat you a bit like the psychiatrist's couch. And uh, I've actually had to stop some sitters in the past. I, said, I don't need to know that. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm only painting your portrait. <laughs> but uh, but whereas other people treat it more like a trip to the dentist, and especially people who have to have their portrait painted, you know, in certain roles. They may, they may see it as another duty they have to undertake. Sort of a bit like going to the dentist. So... <laughs> Um, and uh, and then I have some sitters who are what I call serial sitters. They actually enjoy being painted so much. They go around a whole series of artists. Wow. And uh, one of these chaps, Tim Morton, he used to um, work at the National Portrait Gallery and became fascinated, obviously working among all the portraits, became fascinated by the process. And uh, I think now he has quite an amazing collection of uh, portraits of himself, which he keeps uh, threatening to have an exhibition of. But yeah. uh, So we wait and see, yes. Absolutely. Can you imagine them just kind of being hung in his home? Mm. It's like the room of Tim. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Obviously, in your work, you've touched on, again, the fact that you often bring in objects and symbolic elements mm-hmm. that further convey the character or, or story of the sitter. Um, how do you how do you go about kind of defining those objects? I like a portrait which, if it gets separated from its context, you know, in hundreds of years' time, people will still be able to uh, read the clues and uh, get an idea of who the sitter was. And uh, so I suppose one example of this is when I painted um, Chris and Uta Frith, who are a pair of neuroscientists, but also a married couple, and they work together. When I was uh, reading some of their research about neuroscience, what struck me was um, that to explain the human brain to the human brain, they had to use a lot of similes or metaphors. So when I was reading their work, they described the human brain is like a pack of cards or a chest of drawers or a computer, things like that. So when I was painting their portrait, it all became quite fun. They were running around their house, sort of finding different objects that we could include in the portrait. So actually, we ended up including a lot of these metaphors and similes visually. So there was a pack of cards on the table. There was a chest of drawers in the background. Um, he collected abacuses, of course, the earliest form of computer. So he had a lot of his abacuses on the wall in the background. So to anyone who didn't know, it just looks like a portrait of a couple in their living room. But actually, all objects are carefully chosen to reflect uh, their writings about the brain and their attempts to understand it. Oh, fabulous. That gives me goosebumps. And I guess this is the hardest question. 
as an artist, how do you know when you finished? <laughs> um, well, do you, have you ever finished? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm quite a perfectionist. And uh, I remember when I was at the Courtauld reading about uh, some of the old uh, 17th century Dutch artists. And they had a process they called hooding, when they'd almost finished a painting and they'd just put a bit more shadow in here and a bit more light here, you know, just all those things you do to sort of bring it together. And uh, I often say I could carry on at that stage of a portrait forever. Uh, but I've talked to other painters and they say, you know, the last two weeks or so of work on a portrait, they're not sure if anyone else would notice the difference, but you know the difference. Um, I was, there was one time I was, uh, I paint, was commissioned to paint a portrait of Jack Straw for the Inner Temple and uh, there was a very tight deadline. So I ended up working through the night to get it finished on time. And uh, at the unveiling, I spoke to the lawyer who'd been in charge of com the commissioning process. And I said to him, I said, what was the special occasion? You know, why does it need to be done by the state particularly? And I said, oh, there was no special occasion. But I said, I've worked with lots of artists before. And I find if you don't give them, <laughs> if you don't give them a deadline, they don't do anything. <laughs> So very I thought, wise I thought commissioner. I thought there's a reason why this man's a very successful lawyer. <laughs> yes. He's understood. No, but, but seriously, there's a time when a painting, it's, you walk into the studio one day and it almost doesn't have anything to do with you anymore. It's taken on its own separate existence. And that's uh, you just think, yes, you don't need anything else from me now. Okay, you're, you're done. You're done. You, you can go out into the world. Well, <laughs> absolutely, like a child. We've spoken a lot about your um, commissions for individuals and, and, you know, including academics and other institutions. But um, I'm really interested in your recent work for the Criterion Collection to create a cover for the Grand Budapest Hotel. How did that come about and what did the collaboration process look like with Wes Anderson on this project? Well, it was very exciting. I mean, it was just an email out of the blue. At first, I thought it was uh, a friend, uh, you know, playing a joke on me. But, uh, <laughs> but no, apparently Wes Anderson um, had seen some of my portraits in the BP Portrait Award over the years. One of them was Nick in Tartan Trousers. And uh, the other one was the portrait of the neuroscientists I was talking about earlier. And obviously, it was something he liked about them. So he asked me to do the cover for the Criterion re-release of the Grand Budapest Hotel. The Grand Budapest Hotel is set in two time periods, the 1960s and the 1930s. So the outer cover would represent the 1960s, where the writer Jude Law is sitting in the bath and Murray Abraham is, uh, as old as Zero Mustafa, is telling him the story. So Wes Anderson asked me to imagine above them in the bathhouse a mural or a kind of mosaic in a Wiener Werkstatter style representing... Um, some of the story of the film, as if the film was sort of taking place on the wall above them as uh, Zero Mustafa told his story. That was quite exciting. Fun it's, brief. It set me off, you know, looking through all my old books about Vienna and old photographs of uh, holidays there and uh, ran off to read some Stefan Zweig and... Uh, it was also nice because I had to watch the film over and over again, especially certain bits to capture characters in certain poses because... Uh, normally I'm working from life, but in this case, of course, I was uh, capturing the characters in their film roles. And then the inside cover was uh, the same bathhouse, but back in the 1930s heyday of the hotel, with uh, Monsieur Gustave, the concierge, played by Ralph Fiennes, relaxing in the bath. And in that case, they wanted, he wanted the mural above to be uh, in the style of Caspar David Friedrich, like lots of the other murals at the hotel. And again, it was fun because I, I could go back, watch, uh, watch the film, and... It gave me a great appreciation for 
Wes Anderson's attention to detail because even in scenes which you know, the first time you watch a film, they go past so quickly, you know, like the scene where they sort of first enter the hotel. I was freeze-framing it and noticing all the paintings, all the decorative elements, and, you know, trying to uh, recreate that style in my own work. And yes, as far as the sort of commissioning pros process went, we uh, it was sort of a back and forth of emails, you know, it was rather fun. I'd sort of, and because we're on different time frames, I sort of, I'd draw something and uh, send it off and say, what do you think of this? And the next morning I'd get an email back and uh, often quite, uh, quite brief, yes, or sometimes uh, a bit bigger or a bit smaller. Or Okay, so they weren't too kind of philosophical or, or uh, elaborate in their Well, I think, I think sort of the initial brief was, but then, uh, then there was... Uh, and some things I was given quite a free hand with and uh, other things uh, Wes was very precise about, as you'd imagine. I mean, the different thing about working for a director rather than working for yourself is you are very much sort of a pencil in their hands and... Uh, which, you know, when, you, uh, when you're when you working for someone whose work you really respect, that's a wonderful thing. So can yeah. you tell me a little bit more about your ongoing collaboration with Wes? Anderson. Well, yes. So, so after I did the, uh, the cover for the Grand Budapest Hotel, I was delighted uh, when Wes got in touch a year or so later and asked if I would do some portraits to be featured in some of his forthcoming films. Oh, how exciting. One of them was a portrait of Benedict Cumberbatch for the upcoming... Um, Roald Dahl story of Henry Sugar. I can't say too much about the portrait, but it all went quite swimmingly, apart from uh, his shirt collar. And uh, we had quite, well, Wes and I had quite a back and forth about shirt <laughs> collars. I painted one shirt collar and he said, no, not like that. So uh, I tried another shirt collar and he's like, no, not like that. Did he give you any references? Well, you say not like that, but but like... It was sort of longer. And I know he said like, longer still, longer still. And I, I, look, I, was, I went through my husband and my son's cupboards looking at all their different shirt collars, but they obviously didn't have quite the thing he had in mind. And in the end, he sent me... Um, a page from the Turnbull and Asser catalogue with <laughs> <laughs> the perfect collar. So, uh, yes, we got well, that sorted. nice and starched. Yes. What other commercial commissions have you taken on? Um, I uh, recently did quite an interesting um, commission for Stella Artois. They've uh, recently introduced um, a naturally brewed beer. So the advertising campaign around this is all to do with the idea of au naturel or nakedness. Mm. They were also um, trying to do something to save the British pub. Their idea was to commission a number of artists to um, recreate traditional English pub signs as sort of Renaissance uh, masterpieces. I was given the title of the Bricklayer's Arms. It was quite a dream commission because my father was actually a brewer. So I grew up visiting lots of pubs up in North Yorkshire. Because I was too young to appreciate the beer, I uh, used to spend a lot of time looking at the pub signs. And uh, so I suppose you could always say they're my first art gallery. Yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, later in life, I've immersed myself in uh, the Renaissance. So to be able to pull these two genres together was uh, a lot of fun for me. I mean, unfortunately, this is one commission which did have to change slightly um, <laughs> in the course of it because uh, my initial idea, I uh, based my bricklayer on uh, Mantegna's St. Sebastian against uh, his pillar with a lovely um, 
Mantegna-esque sort of Italian hill town in the background. Uh, but when I submitted the initial sketch, I said, uh, it's all a bit Renaissance, isn't it? So uh, <laughs> I said, wasn't that in the brief? But uh, yes, so sadly the hill town had to go, but I managed to keep the pillar. Oh, fabulous. So. You couldn't put any kind of little Yorkshire Dales in the background <laughs> or anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Adapt it slightly. Oh, wonderful. Um, what makes a good what makes a good commission or a good portrait? I think a good portrait is always a collaboration. So the best ones are where the sitters have uh, got as excited and involved as I have. And uh, what I particularly liked doing was um, the portrait of the surgeon I mentioned. The nice thing about him was he was very interested in the history of the depiction of medicine in art. So we had some wonderful conversations before we started the portrait and talked about paintings, you know, from Dr. Tulp's Anatomy Lesson to uh, Barbara Hepworth's series of uh, hospital sketches. You know, he was really interested in the way he was portrayed and the tradition, you know, I was portraying him in. And again, the one of the neuroscientists, because they got very involved and it became almost like a sort of parlour game, finding things to uh, include in the portrait. I mean, I suppose another nice one, which was very interesting for me, was painting um, Andrew Strauss and Claire Taylor for Lords. Partly because I learned a lot about cricket, which I didn't know before. And uh, partly we had a very interesting discussion about uh, sort of the psychology of the cricket player, the psychology of the sports person. So I ended up um, painting a pair of portraits of them, but they were set in the changing rooms at Lord's, which, as I found when I was doing the hallowed portraits, ground. is indeed hallowed ground. Oh my goodness, that's and, like the sanctum sanctorum uh, it, it of It really is. A few, t- a few tours went round when I was doing the sitting, just looking at the people's faces when they came in <laughs> to this... Uh, amazing slightly sweaty smelling space <laughs> was uh, but uh but yes it was really interesting because uh talking to both Andrew Strauss and Claire Taylor I think Andrew Strauss compared himself to a gladiator going into the arena so I painted them with their just in the moment before they go on with some of their kit around them you know sort of the helmet and the pad and the gloves a bit like armor you know what like a gladiator would wear or I, from some, a lot of it reminded me of samurai armor but for them it was the act of you know Getting uh, dressed in this was also a sort of act of psychologically preparing yourself for uh, yeah, the fray ahead. Exactly. Battle against the Australians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Um, that's all my questions today. Thank you so much, Emma, for Thank you. this inc- wonderful insight into um, your work and what it means to, to commission a portrait. Well, thank so. you for asking. This is Bespoke. It actually has been really good to make me uh, stop and reflect on what you're doing or why you're doing it or how it all works. So it's actually been really nice for me to uh, spend a bit of time thinking about that. (laughs) 